Welcome, Welcome to, to the Better, Better Call Daddy Show. This is Big Daddy. Oh my God, that's hysterical. More stories you are not going to believe. And advice that you didn't know that you needed. Five stars. Five and a half stars. We're creating a legacy one call at a time. Here comes my daddy. Your problem is, is that you like me. <laughs> my dad is my hero. I'll always be there to take your call. And you'll never be in too much trouble if your dad is around. Oh, boy. I think I'm a pretty cool dude. Better call daddy. The safe space for controversy. This is your host, Rena Friedman Watts. No, this is your host, Celia Watts. More inspirational stories, more daddy drama, and more laughs. Hey, a lot of these things, I don't know where you're getting them from. It sounds like they're coming from when I look in the mirrors. Damn the public. Damn the public. (laughs) Today's guest only wants to work with people who have a passion for doing things. They actually want to learn. He wants heartfelt customers. He's a blogger, a podcaster, an author, and a community builder. Tim Gillette, welcome. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited about this. I know you get to know people live, so I'm getting to know you today a little bit live. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Playing me at my own game, are you? <laughs> I'm going to try. One way to have fun. Yes. I was just listening to the interview that you did with your mom. Yeah, I have a few shockers in the closet, yeah. What has stayed with you a year later? about that interview. I get to see my mother every day. So I'm very privileged on that because of the fact that she lives right here in the complex with me. She moved here as she retired. I mean, we talk every day about stuff we've gone through. And the fact that this year, yesterday was my dad's birthday. And my dad, yeah, my dad would have turned 82 yesterday if he was alive. And I spoke at Ziegler headquarters yesterday about my dad. That is so special. Please tell me more about that. You know, Zig Ziglar was a Christian and he did this thing started in the 1970s where at his headquarters, he did this Monday morning devotional. And it's something that has carried on uh, all throughout the years. His son, Tom, and his secretary, Lori, lead it now. Once a year, I'm asked to speak and come there and, and share because of my connection to the family. You know, you come there and do a, jo- a good job once, they invite you back. So. <laughs> but, you know, I've been connected to the Ziglar family for, gosh, almost 20 years now. It's a privilege to get asked every year to go back there and share because I don't really do inspirational type talks. But when they asked me to do it this this past year, they said, hey, the date we have available, they gave us the dates. And I said, I'll take the 28th because of the fact that that would be my father's birthday. So yeah, I got to do a whole talk on my father, things he did, what a real father's love is, what you learn from your father that you don't really realize till after he's passed, things like that. And then I shared all this stuff about how, you know, your father loves you no matter what. And all the things you think he's doing is mean. Sometimes it's really love. And we don't get that, that our heavenly father is actually doing that. Sometimes we think he's being mean, but actually he's loving us. All right. When he makes us late for that appointment because of the fact that he wanted us to avoid that accident, you know, things like that. I talked about it and then I shared the very ending closing thing was my dad met my mom. All right. When she had this little boy and he dated her anyway. And then he adopted me. I'm the oldest of four boys, but I'm the adopted son to my dad. Oh my God. What an incredible human. How did you meet the Zigglers originally? I went to church. A friend of mine here in the Dallas area said to me, hey, Tim, why don't you and your brother come to church with me tomorrow or, uh, on Sunday? 
we get a special speaker. You'll kind of like him. So I did. And just he were walking back out to the car out of the side of the church and Zig was behind us and he knew he knew Zig. All right. And uh, he basically said, Tim, I want to introduce you to somebody, you know, turn around and, uh, and shook hands with Zig Ziglar. And that was like basically an introduction to him because I, I had a car wash business at the time. And he was this guy was one of my good clients. And he was always referring me people who need me needed my service. As a matter of fact, that guy who introduced me to Zig Ziglar, I had coffee with him an hour after I spoke at Ziggler headquarters because he actually, he has coffee, the same coffee shop that my mom would do every, my mom and I every, every morning. Yeah. Isn't world's, life incredible? Yeah, we're, the world's a small place when you look at it from our perspective. Yeah. So, Have yeah. you noticed like a lot of full circle moments like that now at this stage of the game? Yeah. I've noticed a lot of them in my life. Now, when I put, when I start putting dots together, one of my closest friends now, when he graduated high our college, the college that he went to, the church that I was part of, actually held their youth conference at that college like a month after he graduated. And I stayed in the same dorm building that he he was in in his like sophomore year. And we found that out because we met each other in 2011 or 12. We met each other for the first time. Then we, you know, and then I, I put the puzzle together of how many times that we were probably within 50 to 100 yards from each other in our entire life. And we finally met in 2012. And actually, I was on a call with him this morning. You know, and another date, because I listened to some podcasts that you had been on, is April 1st, you started blogging. Yeah, April 1st, 2010 was my first blog post. It's funny because I, I told the story then too. I mean, I play, I used to play a, a, an April Fool's joke on my father every year because he just, he had a sense of humor about life, all right? But you had to catch him off guard to get him with, with, it, with that every year. My daughter has since tried to pick that up on me and she's just not as good, all right? The greatest joke that I ever pulled on my dad on April 1st was April 1st, 2004. My dad was a diehard Republican. And I lived in Texas at the time. And I called him up and I go, hey, dad. And I'm not I'm not a Democrat or, any, or Republican either way. But I call him up and I say, hey, dad, I got the opportunity this year to work on a presidential campaign. And I'm not sure if I should take the job. I need your advice, dad. What do you think? And he goes, you should do it. That'd be great. I mean, he gets all excited and he's fired up and everything. And I go, um, okay, I'm going to call John Kerry and tell him I'm going to take the job. And my dad was like, what? You know, I mean, I never heard such profanities going to my dad's mouth that fast because he was a Republican. He didn't like a Democratic candidate. So, Oh, I'm sure in today's day and age, it would be even more profanity. It would be even more intense. But, you know, my father would, you know what I mean? He would say stuff like that. But, you know, he taught us never to hate, you know, never to hate people. You know what I mean? My mom and dad grew up in a town that we lived in Pennsylvania. The, the Democratic governor of Pennsylvania for a long time was a close friend of ours even though my parents were Republicans. And he was like the one Democrat that my parents voted for because they knew him personally. You know what I mean? And yeah, my dad, I think he probably wouldn't be thrilled with our politics today. I don't know whether he would have been happy or, or dissatisfied with the previous president. I don't know uh, because there's Republicans who didn't like that guy. <laughs> so I don't know. <laughs> Right, right. That's funny. What was your relationship like with your parents? My dad was always someone I could go to, all right, especially as an adult. I knew that I could always call dad if I needed advice, I needed to talk, things like that. I got into trouble very early on. Uh, I was like 18 or 19 years old and I got in trouble with the law. You know, dad came down to my work that day and he says, hey, let's, let's, let's go have a cup of coffee and talk because he, you know, he found out about it. And he just said, I want you to know that, you know, I mean, your father is the one place you can come to when this world's attacking you, you can call me. So, all right, because this is a problem and you've been hiding it from me, worried. Your dad is one place you come to when you're in trouble, all right? And he always was there for me. Every, anytime I ever had a problem, I could call my dad. Even if I was in a fight with my mother, I can call my father. I can relate there. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's amazing. 
What a blessing. It sounds like you bond with your parents over coffee. Um, Let's face it. It's the one thing that, you know what I mean? As soon as I started drinking coffee, I've been hooked my entire life. And that is my key thing. I always tell people, let's go have a cup of coffee. On occasion, I go have a cup of whiskey, glass of wine, but most of the time it's coffee. (laughs) I also want to know when you cut your hair. May of 2020. Yeah, Uh, that was a shock to everybody when I did that. Because everybody in our industry knows me as me with long hair. So, and I just got photo, I just got a new photo shoot done and I'm waiting on the photos to come back with me with short hair to change some of the stuff out of my, I've got a whole website redesign being done right now. So it's, I got to have a new look. What made you want to do it? I don't know if you, if you ever follow some people who are well-known and like Sean White, a great example of it. Sean White, Olympic snowboarder, X Games. He had long hair and he cut his. One of the things that he found out early on was is getting stuck in an image and you have to you have to maintain it. Carrot Top is another one. Carrot Top has maintained his curly red hair because that's what people know him as. As you get older, things start to thin out up here for men and it's very hard to maintain that. And I went, man, the last thing I want to do is have to wear wigs to keep up with an image. And I didn't want to be known as just a gimmick. I mean, everybody knew me as the not Tom Petty guy. I didn't want to totally be known for that. I wanted to be me because that is the one thing that Zig Ziglar taught me in my life that's foundational. Just be you and you got to be you no matter where you go. That was the key behind it. I mean, I actually spent four months planning it. If it wasn't for the pandemic, it would have been a live presentation that I walked out on stage for the first time with short hair, but we were all in, what do you want to call it? We were all in in lockdown. So it was a virtual revelation. I feel like kind of everybody did COVID makeovers. So it kind of goes along with that. Yeah. You got to realize most people it's COVID makeovers. They gained weight. I'm doing everything I can to maintain weight. Oh my gosh. Whoa. So what was the actual day like? Like, what did that feel like? So I went and got it cut the day before I had a virtual event. All right. At a big two day virtual event the day before. All right. My hairstylist, we weren't allowed to even say that I had went to her house to do it because of the fact that we were in lockdown. I couldn't, I couldn't advertise who the hairdresser was who did it because she could have gotten in trouble because we weren't supposed to have any businesses open. But I just, I went to her personal house. We cut it in the, like the foyer of her, her, her living room because she had no place to do it. Her salon was shut down. You know, I went there. Well, then I came home the night before I did. Then I came home. I didn't stop anywhere. I didn't stop anywhere. I didn't go to the grocery store. I kept everything in. I came home and the next morning I started my virtual event. I had one of my clients start the event off and do a whole bunch of things on there before I came live on camera. Cause you know, he knew it, you know, he knew it ahead of time. But, you know, he was my secret to do my secret weapon to do it and hide it. And then I went, boom, live on camera. I turned the camera on and he goes, and here's Tim Gillette. And I go live on camera. And the comment section for the event for like 20 minutes is your hair, your hair, your hair. What happened to your hair? You know, it's like, (laughs) yeah. How long has it been like that? I've had long hair on and off since the 1980s. So there was a section in the 1990s for about three or four years, I had it cut short. In the early 2001 to 2005, I guess I had it cut short because I had a professional business and I had to, I had to look professional. When 2005, when I quit, I sold that business off and went to work for Starbucks. I kind of grew it from 2005 until 2020 when I cut it off. So 15 years straight in long hair. Yeah, that's a long time for one image. <laughs> Of course, I did have it trimmed every year and uh, I had to straighten. I, have, I still have hair straightener and all of these things in my you know, hair care that most of you women have that us guys don't. I have it all. 
Oh my God. I love it. Oh my what? gosh. So I also now want to know what you did to get in trouble at 18 or 19. Do you feel comfortable saying? Yeah. At 18 years old, I had three or four different, very, very close friends. One of my friends was Brad. Uh, another friend was Carl. I'm not going to give their last names. I don't even know if they would see this, but if they see this, they'll know who I'm talking about because we, we, we were dumb kids. We were a lot of dumb kids. I think Brad was of age, but I wasn't. And we basically had connections that we would, we would always, we always had our cars trunks filled with beer. You know, I, I think my car, but the trunk of my car was like a cooler. I had beer and wine coolers and everything in. And one night we're at like the McDonald's in town and somebody did something stupid. So Brad and we're in Brad's car and he does like this burnout or something with his car that caught the cop's attention. The cop come up and pulled right in front of us and cut us off. And he comes over to the car and here we're sitting two guys with, with open beer. He loaned the trunk, but he just looked at open beers in the car. I think Brad was of age, but I wasn't. So they have to take the beer out of the car. They have to search his car, pull all beer from the car. All right. And then I have to get, I got fined for it. They didn't take me to jail, but I got fined for it. I like, I ignored it for the longest time. I'm like, yeah, well, that'll go away. Until the police showed up at my house one day and I wasn't home and my dad was there. But your dad was pretty cool about it. That's nice. Yeah, he, he was like, well, he's not here right now. I think he said something like, you know, he's working out of town right now. All right. So I can have him, you know, contact you, but he's not, he's not here. He's not in town. I re- I was probably in town. Well, my dad told him, well, he's working out of town right now. So he's not here. Like, cause usually they'd be like, well, what time does he get home? And he's like, well, he's not home. But I also at the time had my driver's license registered at my parents' house, not at the place I lived either. So, you know, it was like, I had a bunch of stuff that wasn't right. And I, it turned out I had to pay like a six or $900 fine. That's hefty though. It was in the 1980s. Wow. That's that's like one of the biggest fines I ever got. Actually, I was fined for beating up a guy. He was my ex-wife's boyfriend. So let's let's really throw the mud on the table. There was a reason why he got beat up. Gosh, this had to be 25 years ago. I feel like that could have been warranted. Yeah. Well, yeah, there's a whole history of fighting going on between the two of us that went on. And that's half the reason why I live in Texas now. So, <laughs> and I don't live in Pennsylvania anymore. Whoa. Yeah. Do you want to elaborate on that at all? Or uh, I don't mean to be the mean guy. All right. But in Texas, we're allowed to carry guns. And if someone breaks onto your property, breaks into your house, your property, you have a right to defend your property. I'm not the type of person to like to kill or hurt people. I just, I, that's just not my nature. But this gentleman did come on my land and pick a fight with me. And basically because he knew certain people in the county and certain police officers, he got fi- charges filed against me. And then I got to court and got it thrown out with a small fine. Oh man, that's some drama. Okay. I did hear you say on another interview that your dad is a big reason for like a lot of what you've done in your life. Can you talk about that a little bit? When I was a kid, my dad was a diesel mechanic. All right. Worked in a lot of places. So I really had a a draw to the automotive field because of what my dad did. When I was younger, I didn't have the concept of how to fix things. I really had to study and study and study, but I had a desire into it. So I went into automotive field, but I went in through the, the detailing and car wash department, which eventually got me put into the auto body shop which eventually got me to learn auto body. And then eventually I would work in doing some repairs, but in by 2000 or yeah, by 90, like 92, 93, I'd had my own car businesses. I had a car dealership. Uh, I had a car body shop. I had car washes, things like that in the Northeast. And that was all influenced from my dad. You know, dad later in his life had, you know, he went through one in the 1970s. He went through one mechanic job after another because he worked for these trucking companies that kept closing up. All right. And small companies that would close up and, and he'd move on to the next one. And by 1980 or like 78, he took a job at a, like a technical school teaching diesel mechanics. In 1980, he would go and teach high school kids diesel mechanics. 
that's where he found his real niche was. He was great at being a teacher and teaching kids things because he could teach people hands-on techniques. And that's where he actually learned to teach me. When he learned hands-on techniques by like, okay, son, you got to undo that bolt. And you undo that bolt, you know, and, and that's how he, he did it. He and at one point in time, I had a car that I bought that was diesel that I didn't know anything about it, but he did. And he literally walked me through the process of taking the heads off and having them, you know, machined and put back on to fix a, a valve leak. He told me that over the phone because, like, we lived uh, 120 miles from each other uh, over the phone, told me how to fix it. He learned to be a hands on teacher. And that's where I learned to be a hands on teacher. And what I'm doing now is I get people to do hands on stuff that gets them to think and then take action to get results. Yeah. Let's talk about what you're up to now. Now I teach a thing called simple, easy marketing, blogging, podcasting, and live stream video. And my whole biggest key around this is I can help anyone with the existing content they have find three times as many customers with just one form of content. And the idea behind what I do is I teach you to broadcast what you know, repurpose it, make it an audio podcast, which I'm pretty sure you're going to do with this, and then take it into the question format, put it into a blog, but then you take your social media posts from it. If you want to create a book, you write a blog to do it rather than, let me sit down and write a book. No, you write blog posts and you put all the blog posts together when it's a book and you publish it. You want to do an informational product. Well, great. You take a video platform, you do a couple of video classes, and then you put it all together. And when it's all done, you put it all together and put it into, into a format. But in the meantime, you record everything piece by piece with what you already have. And that actually will get you out there further. And you never realize that along the way, you're building an audience going, hey, uh, when, when I get something on this, I want to find out when you get more. All right. So they're, they're already ready for it when you have the, re- the next piece done. Yeah, there are some pieces there that I'm definitely missing. Yeah. When did you start realizing all of these steps? Like, what was the process like for you? I know you started first with WordPress. And I also, I'm asking more than one question at once, but I do want you to talk about some of the early on blog pieces that you did. Like you did some really cool ones that got some attention. You know, my first blog post was just, I I didn't even know what to write about. I wrote something to the effect of cleaning my garage. I cleaned my garage in 30 minutes. So I wrote changing your set timer, change your world in 30 minutes at a time, you know? And that was the blog post that just related to what I was doing. I always thought I had a problem coming up with a subject to write. So I would think of something. When I married my current wife in 2012, my mom brought me stuff that I put on AOL in the 1990s as what would have been a blog post on AOL. No clue. I couldn't even remember that I did that stuff. Because like I would get inspired and just go come up with something. I wrote for two years just randomly stuff here, stuff there based on like, you know, what I thought was needed. And then one day I decided that I was going to write a blog post about a song that inspired me in the 1980s. And I mean, it's a song that it's probably not my favorite song of all time, but in the 1980s, it was a story driven song. And the song was by the band called Foreigner and it was called Jukebox Hero. And that, I mean, that was an inspirational story told in a song. And I've always loved musicians who told it in a song. I can't sing. I can't play an instrument. I'm not coordinated enough to do that, but music has inspired me. So one day I sit down and I go, you know what? I'm just going to write a thing about Jukebox Hero and the song and how it inspired me. And 35 people read my blog the day before. The day that blog post came up, 7,700 people found it. Most people was like, well, tell me your SEO tricks. I truly believe, and this is the part woo that Tim is, is I believe that my energies behind that story and how much it drove me, that energy went into me telling that story, which that energy is what attracted so many people to come in to read that. It wasn't a magic keyword and it wasn't a magic formula at the time. No, it was just when you put your right energy, what you're supposed to be doing in life 
in the right place, the right people are searching for it. And there's probably a reason God has inspired you with it because you need to put it out there. And that became huge that we we did our first or second niche of what I did was called the Rock and Roll Keys to Business Success. And we took all rock and roll songs and they were like the my blog titles were rock and roll songs. My books, my first book. I still keep the first book here. You can't always get what you want. This is the last copy left, by the way. That was my original. They're self-help personal growth books. They're not business related. And my brand was called Rocker Life Coach, but we went to rock and roll keys to business success because everything was a song title. My programs were song titles or revised song titles. I think my blogging program was called Rock Around Your Blog. I had a a book called Not Gonna Take It Anymore. I had a book called Taking Care of Business. What was it? Money for Nothing was my was like one of my training courses. I played off of song titles because I learned two things early on. You can't trademark a song title or a book title. So I could take a song title and I could write about it because of the fact that you can't trademark or you cannot copyright it. So that was one way I could always find my book titles. And you had success from that blog post. So it's kind of like, okay, my audience likes this. Yeah. yeah. So. so how can I do that again? Right. Did you think yeah. about that intentionally? I did. I, that's, that's what I, how I, I repeated it was, is I went, okay, my, apparently my audience wants to hear motivation about songs. And that's where we went with that. Early on, it was like when, right, right after my dad passed away, 2010, like 2011 timeframe, that's where we come up with the idea. When I was trying to come up with an idea on how to frame my blog, we broke it down into weeks. So I would take a theme for every week and then write five posts that were sub themes on that topic. One of the themes that I did, not, it was after the jukebox hero, was a theme I was, was uh, History of the Eagles. When the History of the Eagles show came out on Showtime, I went, how, I did something like How the Eagles Impacted Me, and I did five Eagles songs. And because I was so active on writing a blog on such a regular basis, and I was so active with doing things all the way up until like, and we were on the first, my wife and I rode motorcycles to see the very first show on that Eagles tour. All right. It was in Louisville, Kentucky. Oh my God. That's where I'm from. Yeah. We rode all the way to Louisville, Kentucky to be able to watch that original show, the first show on that tour. But up until that show, I beat the Eagles out on search terms. On no. their own search term, I beat the Eagles out because I was writing consistently and I was just putting blog posts up. And I had so many other things in there that related to it and so many other things to my blog that related to the Eagles because it was music related that like if you Google search history of the Eagles 2013, I was on the first page six times. They were on twice. And like it's their search term. And I beat them at it. I'm not saying I'm great, but that's the idea behind blogging was when you write on a repetitive basis, you can actually get yourself up in rankings as opposed to trying to trick the system. That works for a while. All right. And then sooner or later, it, it winds down. Like if you really wanted to have a blog post to get the topic this week <laughs> and Will Smith and Chris Rock, all right? I mean, it'll get it this week, but that's the t- the way we read, I wrote my blog was themes. Well, one of the other themes, speaking of Louisville, one of the other themes that I wrote was five entrepreneurs that I wanted to meet and why. One of them was, uh, what's his name from Apple who passed, Steve Jobs who passed away. You know, there was another one, Jim Cook, who does beers up at Boston Beer Company because the man really loves beer. All right. I would love to meet him. There was two other ones in there that I forget who they were. It might've been like Mark Zuckerberg or I don't remember. But there was one that I wrote from Louisville because of the fact of what he did to start his business. He sold his prize car to rent a spot next to his dad's bar. 
to start a pizza place and built a huge successful worldwide company. And then one day went, you know, I'd like to find that car. And he bought it back. And that was John Schneider from Papa John's. So, I mean, I wrote that blog post like 2011. In 2013, when we were doing one of the revisions of my website, my webmaster lives in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and I'm on like a Zoom call with her. And this phone rings, my cell phone. I look at it and it's like, I don't know anybody from Louisville, Kentucky. So I just hit go to voicemail. The voicemail said, Tim Gillette, this is John Schneider from Papa John's. I understand you want to meet me. All right, please call me back or call my secretary and give the number. Uh, somebody from the company found the blog post and showed it to him and he called me. Um, yeah. Were you so excited? I was like, I couldn't believe it happened, number one. But number two, I was like a starstruck kid when I got on the phone with him. I really wasn't ready for the call. Normally, I mean, I'm the guy, I used to go to car races up in the East, all right? And I'd walk up to Dale Earnhardt and say, hi, Dale, how you doing? I wouldn't think anything of it. But that's how I got to be friends with Zig Ziglar and many celebrity friends. And for the, the first time in my life, I'm on the phone with a guy and I'm starstruck. Thank can't talk. Yeah, I have to say, though, because I have still gotten starstruck recently. Were you able to, like, get your composure and, like, your professionalism? And, like, how did you prepare for that after? We, yeah, we had a good conversation for probably about 20 or 30 minutes. And he did tell me to keep in touch. And we have since lost touch because he's no longer with that company. Mm. But he did, like, he did say, hey, you're ever in, you know, Louisville. Look, you know, come by and see me. I'd love to, I'd love to meet you. And I just, it never, every time I was in Louisville, he was just never there. Have you had more situations like that? In 2000, I think 13 or 14, I can't remember when it was. I had a really good month. All right. I was at a conference and I met Guy Kawasaki, who was like an ambassador for Apple in the early days. And I just said to him, hey, I'd love to have you on my podcast. At the time I was on blog talk radio. And he said, sure. Just set it up. All right. And I set it up and had him scheduled within two months. That same month, I reached out to Larry Wingett. All right. The pitbull of personal development, the guy who wrote the book, your kids are your own damn fault and all that stuff. And I reached out to him and I said, I would love to have you on my podcast. I don't know if you've interested. Sure. Then I had a third one and I can't remember who the third one was. It was somebody who was like known in our region in Dallas area, known in our region, but like not well known. And he said, yes. So I got cocky. At that point, I'm like, I, I can ask anybody at this point, right? I reached out through President Bill Clinton's, the Clinton Foundation, to try to get Bill Clinton on my podcast. Like within 48 hours, I got an email from the organization saying, we've received your request. All right, we're going to discuss with Mr. Clinton and we'll get back to you. Now, I didn't vote for Bill Clinton. I'm not a Democrat. Again, I'm not a Republican, but I love ex-presidents. To me, I want to interview them all. I want to hear them speak. It's just the way I am. I was all excited. I'm like, oh my, so I started telling everybody, we're in talks to have Bill Clinton on the podcast, right? And I like telling this to everybody. And then I get this rejection letter. I'm sorry, Mr. Gillette, we cannot have, Mr. Clinton said he, he could not do it for you because if he did it for you, he'd have to do it for everyone. And right now he is in very high demand for speaking and it's just not possible at this point. Very professional letter. So then I went around telling everybody, hey, I got a rejection letter from a president. <laughs> Yeah, totally. I would like frame that, print it out. I mean, that is so cool. Yeah. Did you ever try again or? No, I did not. All right. You know, podcasts weren't, that was like, you know, right around 2012. Podcasts weren't as hot as they are now. I'll bet if I reached out now, I probably could get it. But now our world has become so divided. I don't know if I want to have anybody on because everybody will go, well, you're part of that party. And I'm not, I'm not part of any party. All right. I've actually, truthfully, when Bill and Hillary were in the, in the White House, I seen Hillary speak at an event. So like when Hillary ran for president, I was like, well, I've heard that president, Donald Trump. I had heard Donald Trump speak. 
I went to an event in Chicago that my wife was working a trade show and got in with her boss's ticket to get in to hear President George W. Bush speak. All right. I've got to see George Bush Sr. speak at an event. Those inspire me. I personally am looking forward to hearing Barack Obama speak. I've never heard him speak outside of the political realm. I just love that. I'm not on either side, but now I'm afraid if I put Barack Obama on my podcast, which I'm probably, I'm sure, Barack Obama's pretty cool. He's been on a few people's podcasts. I'm pretty sure he's on between two ferns, even that Zach Galifianakis between two ferns. He was on there and I felt like he had a good sense of humor. Well, no, he, he does. I mean, most presidents, when they leave, they accept the coolness of the world. I think Trump is the only one that's like weird out there. All right. But like, I'm not a fan of either, but I'm afraid if I put either one of them on my show, now it labels me as to who I am. I don't tell people which side of the aisle I'm on. I really am not on either side of the aisle. <laughs> and I don't want my whole persona put down to go, well, he's that guy kind of guy. 12 years ago, we could have done that and people wouldn't have cared. Now it's like, you know, you, you interview a certain people. Well, he was the outspoken one against Trump or he was the outspoken one against Biden or I don't want to position myself that way now. So that makes sense. Yeah. What's the most controversial story you've covered? I don't know as I've ever done a controversial story on my show. The most unique thing I've ever done was I pulled off a publicity stunt. Ooh, tell me. Do you remember the, the live streaming platform Blab? I think I've heard of it. Yeah. yeah, so Blab was popular about 2006, 15, 16, 17, 16. Blab got very popular. And what me and another friend come up with one night, there was this, there was a way we found to put a green emoji check mark next to your name. And we told people that we were Blab, Blab official or like, you know, the certified, like you get the blue star on whatever, all this social. So we pulled off by saying, I actually did a Blab, a live stream about how to become Blab official and how to get your official green check mark. And I remember creating it as a joke. I literally created the platform. I was going to start the broadcast in about 30 minutes. I went, got up, went to the bathroom. I come back from the bathroom and I have like 300 people registered to watch this. What the heck? I can take this for a ride. So we, I mean, literally, we literally went for a ride. We built this whole like training course around it. Like we had like, you know, scams around everything. And the backside of it was, if you watch all of our stuff, we told you the secret. All right, just go ahead and put the green check mark next to your name. That's all you had to do. The guy who ran the company was a guy named Sean. And I got a phone call one day from Sean going, Tim, I need you to stop. I'm like what? We're not hurting. We're telling people the truth. He goes, yeah, but I get 2,500 emails a day asking me how we how people can become Blab official. You're affecting my business now. Can you please stop? And like we were just about to launch a t-shirt that said, I'm Blab official. At least that's what the check mark I have says or something like that. We were going to get a t-shirt line and everything to go with. I mean, we were really running it. It helped me come up with different publicity stunts. That was the most famous one. The I love that. And truthfully, I mean, it kind of reminds me of like, there's different apps that can make you look like you've gotten retweeted a hundred times. You know, yes. there's ways that you can become Instagram verified that aren't real, but so much of popularity is appearances. And a lot of it isn't even real. Yeah, I've, cu I've cut my hair. I don't care about appearances anymore. <laughs> oh man. To getting down to where I just want to help people. In 2009, when I, before I even started this, I started buying real estate as investments. 2015, 16, the price of real estate started going up. So I took my early on investments and I was able to sell them and flip them and go in. And now I'm actually in the process right now of selling my last rental house and doubling down and, and expanding again. My wife and I have, first of all, my wife has a very, very good job. She is a C-suite executive for a, a re major retailer. We could live on that alone. I basically could be a stay-at-home husband because we live 
kind of live under our means to have a large income coming in. But we've had the, the real estate and the investment realm where we keep putting money in and it keeps making other money. Like, you know, even with stocks over the last couple of years, I just make investments and the investments are starting to grow. When I got that down to that point and I realized I can, I can grow my investments and I don't have to work every day to make a paycheck. I started going, you know what? I don't want to do this. So I would get rid of things. I don't want to do this. I get rid of things. What were some of the things that you didn't want to do? Tell me some of that too. Well, I mean, that started with, with when I sold my car wash business, I put a 10, I had a 10 year do not compete. And I, that's all I'd worked in my entire life was the car industry. In 2004, I was out of the car industry for 10 years. I had to go to work for Starbucks and sleep in my car. Eventually I, went, I like Starbucks. I love Starbucks. Anyway, I mean, that was the first part. I, I got sick of what I was doing. So I walked away from it. Things I don't like to do that uh, over the past two years have been developed. I do not like working with people who go with, you know, who come around with, you know, I, I think I want to try this. I think I'll try this. I'm like, dude, get a plan down. Know what you want to do. All right. Quit dilly-dallying and sticking one toe in here, one, two. And I don't want people who want to sample things. I want people who want to get up and do the work. I had one of my things on my website said that I don't work with people who are looking for get rich quick because totally. I don't want to do get rich quick. I don't want to do with it. You know, my, my thing's called simple, easy marketing, but I don't want people who are always looking for the easy way. I don't like dealing with people who come up to you and go, so what's the app for that? This is my number one app. I sit down and write it out on a piece of paper. Oh my God. Look, I have that right here. I like going with the tried and true stuff rather than going with, well, this is the newest, hottest thing. The last live event I did, I had a guy come up because, you know, everybody's taking notes. He goes, oh, well, I've got this new damn fangled thing that you actually can do it. And, it, you know, the pen writes and, you know, you just swipe it and it stays in the pen and goes, I'm like, dude, that's too much work. I watch people who always go and look for all the apps to to try to make things work rather than write down a system and then find apps that make the system work instead of finding the apps and then putting the system together. You know, I watch people jump from one tool to another, one game to another online, and they never have any traction. They never go anywhere. Four years later, they're still talking about, I got to get ready to get ready to get ready to get ready to start. You know, and it's like, dude, I've gone through four businesses when the time you're trying to get ready, you know, I've got clients that all I had to tell them do is just turn the damn camera on and talk to it for now. Right now, that's what you need to do. And they built a huge following doing it by just talking to the camera every day. Oh my God. I want to hear about the beginnings of that. First of all, I was shocked that people even wanted to see me on camera. I still did not get that. Right. I would get on camera. I like when I, when I joined Blab was the first live streaming thing I ever joined. And within, I think it was within like 48 hours, I had 2000 followers and I'm like, it what is it hair. that you guys want to see? That she was the hair. No, <laughs> that'd be the hair. Yeah, but then I would talk about things, and they would go, "Okay, that's that's the, that's stuff they want to stay." I have clients who come on; and they were scared. To, I have one client; she was scared to death to get on camera. Did not. She came. She actually drove her car. She doesn't fly. Drove her car from Sacramento, California, to Dallas, Texas, to attend one of my events. Joined my mastermind at the event and said, well, okay, well, I've got to get started in doing something. What should I do? I says, on the way home, I want you to do some live streams, broadcast it on Facebook with your phone. I don't want to get on camera on it. She's like, she's like, I don't want to get on camera. I says, okay, face the camera the other way and show the pictures of the birds, the cows, the cars, whatever it is, and talk about them. Do you know now she actually speaks on camera at like 20 to 30 virtual events a year. What? Yeah, gets on camera all the time. Did you see something in her or this is something that she no, wanted just, to get better at? I just tell people to do, all right? You know, take action. You know, the, the one thing that will cure your inaction or cure your fear is taking action. A ton of stuff in all my businesses, it was take action. 
there are days that I still wake up scared to do things. So like, okay, so I'll just go do this and this will get me, I'll get started with this and see where it goes. At the end of the day, I've made five websites. Okay. Because I started with doing this one tweak on a website, you know, and that's what I tell people. If you just start taking action, you'll be surprised. My very first blog post, start taking action. You'll be surprised what will happen on how short a time. Also, you did write a blog post about your dad. What did you include in that one? So I told the story about my dad. That one was done in 2011. It was very shortly after he passed. All right. He, my, my father, oh my I lost God. my father. I, yeah. I lost my father on New Year's Eve, 2010. Oh. All right. My mom was visiting me for the holidays and dad was in Florida. And like, I, I'd seen them both in Florida two weeks earlier. I rode back home. Mom drove home after Christmas to spend, she was going to spend New Year's with us. And she was going to spend a month or week or so with us. And dad had to drive from Florida back to Pennsylvania because he had, he had to go back to work. Mom was staying with us and mom and I are driving in the car here in Dallas. And someone calls my mom's phone and she's like, well, that's a number from my hometown. So she answers it. And it's the nurse at the hospital letting her know my dad died. Oh. <gasps> That's New Year. Oh my God. In a matter of like an hour and a half, we're planning on how to get from Texas to Pennsylvania on New Year's Day. Oh my God. That is so Um, hard. And I flew, yeah, I flew to Pennsylvania New Year's Day and I didn't come back till almost February. All right. And one of the things I have, so most people don't know, is that year I was part of riding my Harley Davidson. This ward right up here, this big glass one right here, is 2011, not 2010. 2011 highest mileage rider of the year. I won it in 2010 because my dad died. I wasn't here to take my bike into the dealer to get my my mileage registered in time. And the award went to somebody else, but I got honorable mention because they said the reason Tim didn't because he had to be in Pennsylvania because his dad died. Oh my gosh. But yeah, so basically that was the inspiration for me. When my dad died, there's two people I promised that I would write a book and two people I promised I was going to build this business. And it was Zig Ziglar and my dad. Those are two pretty special people. Very, yeah, very huge to me. My dad dies 2010. I don't even have concept of a book even on paper yet. I barely even have a blog at that point. It was a matter of weeks that I started writing. While I was up in Pennsylvania, I would start writing on things just to start, you know, the blogging and get regular at it. The first week that we we did for blogging that I did a weekly theme was, I, I think I called it Real Hope and Change. And I talked about five people who lived, you know, the message that was originally out of hope and change. They hoped in a better future and they changed their lives to do it. The five people I wrote about was my last one was my dad because it came out on his birthday. But earlier in the week, I wrote about a lady that I worked with at Starbucks who basically left Oregon and with her kids and moved to Texas and had, you know, to work with a church down here and had to get a job at Starbucks to run away from an abusive relationship. Wow. And yeah, and because she had kids, she had to get them away from it, came here, lived here for a while. All right. And I told her story as one of them. Number two person that I told the story was is a girl that I dated right after my first marriage. And she lost her first husband to a motorcycle accident oh my when God. they were like in their early 20s. I mean, kids. Oh my gosh. Whoa. Those are really raw stories. They are. The third one or the other one that I wrote was about my friend, Rob Skiba, who I lost in 2021. I lost him to COVID. He was on my podcast. My podcast was the last interview he did before he passed away. Oh my God. And that was the other one I did. And then I did about my dad, but I had nothing on my dad. I couldn't call my dad to get information because most everybody in there wrote a section who I wrote about. They wrote a section of the blog post. My dad wasn't there. So I talked to my dad's oldest sister, my aunt Jean. And Aunt Jean gave me a lot of information about my dad that I didn't know. The blog post that I wrote about him, I explained things in his life that most people didn't know about him. As a kid, he had one pair of pants. He was a, a boy in a house full of girls. His dad left him when he was very, very young. A boy in a house full of girls, he had to wash his pants 
wear them to school wet the next day. You know, they didn't have washer dryers. You know, this is like, he was born in 1940. So, you know, he went through the forties and fifties, you know, a very poor boy. He went through that. He finally got to reconnect with his dad just before his 20th birthday, right around his 20th birthday. And a matter of days after his 20th birthday, his dad died and his dad died the same heart problem he did. My dad lived to 70 and his dad died at 44. Did that you guys a- ever have a conversation about that? Because yeah, he adopted you at a young age. Did he yeah. see himself in you at all? I think that, no, he really loved my mom. My mom and me were a package deal. You know what I mean? You think about that single moms in today's world, how many people, the men who won't accept the girls, kids, me personally, I have a daughter and I have two stepsons, but my stepsons were raised. They were adults when I met my wife but I consider them my boys. I don't look at any one of the three kids differently. To me, I love all three of them equally, even if they're not mine. And that's just something my dad taught me, love. Love equally. Don't pull favoritism and that stuff because of games. So, but you know, one of the unique things I put in that blog post and it was my dad said just a year before he passed away, he made a comment to somebody and he said he's, he only had two bad days in his life. All the crap we found out about him, he only had two bad days in his life. And he said the bad days were the day he lost my aunt Jean's husband, you know, his brother-in-law. They were very close friends. And the day that my younger brother, Jim, him and his, his first wife lived in Pennsylvania, close to my dad. And they had two sons and they did everything with my dad. My brother's wife just one day said, that's it. I'm out of here. And basically grabbed the kids and took off to Florida. And that was a bad day in my dad's life because these kids were at his house every day. And all of a sudden, boom, they're gone. He said, those are the only two bad days he had ever had in his life. So family was obviously very important to him. It was huge to him. So yeah, when he passed away, he had written his funeral that his boys, us boys had to say in how the memorial service went. Really? And it's funny because my dad's, one of my dad's older sisters was a minister and she called me and said, Timmy, I'm a minister. I could do the funeral. And I said, man, Betty, we have made another choice. We thank you, but we've made another choice that we think is more relevant to what we believe my dad would have wanted. She tried calling my mom and my mom said, sorry, it's the boy's decision. It's not ours. So, and we called our childhood pastor who drove in a snowstorm, drove from New York to Pennsylvania to do that funeral for us. And then when it came to our poor boys, my brother, Nathan wanted to speak and we let him, but Nathan's not someone who can take that kind of speech, uh, but we let him do it. All right. Cause he just, he wanted, he pushed and pushed him. We let him, but my other two brothers said, no, we want to just me. I mean, I was training. I was being, I was a speaker at the time. So I was like, yeah, we just want Tim to go up there and do it. He'll do it. And everybody come up and said that, you know, what I said about my dad was probably the most impactful out of everything. That must've been in some ways though, very hard to do. Yes, it was. You know what I mean? I've had three hard things I've had to do in my life. One of them was let my daughter stay with my ex-wife and not let her come down here. The second one was my father, losing my father. And the third one was the day I actually, many, 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 many years ago, my mom was in an accident one day near my house and I had to be the responsible person. I couldn't afford tears. I had to come to the accident scene. I had to be responsible. I had to organize everything, get a hold of my dad, get a hold of the friend of her car. I mean, I had, that was a tough, that was the hard, those, those are my hardest days. So, oh my God, was she okay? Yeah, she was okay. She went through a lot of stuff. Her friend went through a lot of stuff. They, they took him to two separate, her friend was medevac through a helicopter to a hospital far away, an hour and a half away. And she was an hour from her house visiting our area at the time and was in a, a car accident that was just very bad. And it was, it was very hard for me to take and have to be, and I remember walking up to the scene and I, I had my daughter with me and a friend and I told my friend, take my daughter and just take her back to the house. I'll call you later to get my daughter. Just take her and get out of here. Cause I knew by getting out of my car, this was not going to be a pretty sight. 
It's just interesting too. Like when you're talking about with your dad and with you, the hardest times in your lives are family types of situations. It's it's funny, you know, when you talk about, I talk about that accident with my mom, I had a friend in 2010, you know, I was leading a motorcycle ride and I had a friend crash right behind me and die. I mean, it was a tough day, but it was like, I don't consider it even in my top two. Wow. And I think it's because of, you know what I mean? I know we're both of Christian faith. I know where he's at. You know, as a motorcyclist, I mean, I've been in a wreck. All right. And I know, you know, when you get on that motorcycle, you know, the risk, you know what I mean? And I know when I get on my motorcycle that day, I knew the risk, you know what I mean? And I think he knew the risk. His wife lived, his wife is still a great friend of mine. And he passed away that day on the side of the road. I sat there holding him in his wife's hand as he passed away. And I don't consider that a hard day because again, I'm a Christian. I believe in faith and I know where he's at. You know what I mean? He, he was a friend. He wasn't someone I grew up with. He was a friend that we're riding buddy. Tell me one of your most proud moments as a dad. I got to say, you know, my daughter, she's connected like me. I know a lot of celebrities because of who I am and who I'm connected to. And a lot of celebrities that I've wanted to meet over the years, I got to meet. And some of them that have passed now, I'm lucky. But my daughter, when she lived here in Texas, I would always look for, that was before I did this. I was always looking for celebrity moments to go get connected to celebrities, get a picture with them, things like that. My daughter calls me up one day and says, Daddy, I know you'd like to meet Vince Neal from Motley Crue. Is that true? And I'm like, yeah. She goes, well, just so happens that they sent an invitation to the people from my Volkswagen dealer where I got my car from to a special invite party where Vince Neal will be for photo shoots. So we got to go take a picture, my daughter and I, with Vince Neal from Motley Crue. The only thing we didn't do was we didn't get a picture with the car. I had my custom motorcycle there. That's what we did. We went. That would have been the icing on the cake. Yeah, would have been the icing on the cake. Have you taken her to meet any other fun stars? Have you done any stakeouts? No, no, we haven't because of the fact that my world, I actually connected my daughter to a job she had for a while that is one of the connections I have in LA that basically he's connected to everybody. And my daughter, because of that, got connected to so many other people too. All right. And, and learn to work around him. It's unique. Like one of the people she knows very well. All right. And I know very well is Glenn Morshower. He's an actor who is in a lot of things and most known for playing Agent Pierce on 24. Great friend of mine. Great connection that I've made here in Dallas. He lives as well as, you know, he has a house in LA. My daughter got to connect with him. The guy that she worked with was like best of friends with Glenn. That's how she got into that connection quite a bit. And it's quite a few times that we were able to do that and, you know, go to movie premieres and stuff together because of who we know. That's so much fun. And, and truthfully, I feel like that's another really beautiful byproduct of creating a show. Like my daughter, I sometimes let help in the transitions or in the intros, or if she has a question for somebody that I'm interviewing, I'll have her be a part of it. And today in school, she played a talk show host. I think that when you expose <laughs> when you expose your kids to fun things that you're doing, they want to participate. I know that your daughter even did some transcriptions for shows that you've done. Um, yeah, she did a transcription as what was one of her businesses she had for a while. And, you know, it's like that. So my boys, my stepsons, they run, you know, internet security. They, one works for an internet security and one of, I mean, this is the boy who graduated early from high school, went to college and didn't like anything in college. So he took weird courses. Then he went and got a certification to do internet security. And one of his clients, I think he's one of his clients is NASA. Like, and this company, like, this is the boy who was like Mr. Anti-everything. This is the boy who had to clam up his anti-everything so that he could get on a plane to fly to his company's headquarters in Israel. So amazing. Okay. So I have one final question then. If you have a kid that's anti-everything and that's giving you a hard time in their teenage years, give me some advice there. Let it ride. Oh, so hard. I love Noah. All right. He's a great person. He's very idealistic in a lot of his ways, but I don't try to stop him anymore. I just go ahead. 
If you think that's right, go ahead. Were you ever hard-headed? Yes, I was very hard-headed. Uh, uh, as time passes, it mellows out. I thought the whole world was going to have to be a certain way. I realized it doesn't work that way. Okay, I want to read one final thing too, because in that interview with your mom, I really liked this quote from her dad. Her dad said that you shouldn't talk about other people's children until your child and their children are grown. And she paraphrased that by saying that you shouldn't pass judgment and accept people's place in life. You need to stand back and really see the circumstances. Do you have anything that you would add to that? Because it kind of goes in with what we were just saying. There's not much else that I can add to that. I mean, really, you know, once once your kids grow up, all right, you'll see. Things aren't going to work the way you think they will. I've learned not to judge people at all. It's because mom and I, we went to a different Starbucks this morning because my Starbucks did not have, this is a little bit like, I'm anal when it comes to my coffee. So, you know, I am anal. Tell me your drink. Two shots of blonde espresso poured over whipped cream. That's what I want. My Starbucks that we go to on a regular basis now did not have blonde espresso. So we went to the other Starbucks that we used to go to. You're like, that's a breaker. (laughs) We're sitting in this Starbucks this morning. All right. And literally, I don't want to put class on parts of town, but like it's the lower class part of town, right? There's no nice way to put it, right? It's right, right across from the Walmart to give you an idea. And I said, well, mom, I said, we can sit in here today and judge people quietly. A little people watching. Yeah. Cause we won't, we don't we're like we laugh. Yeah, sure. Whatever. We don't really judge people. We, we walk into our Starbucks, the one girl who she works at a nail salon, Asian. I'm not sure what, because I can't understand her as well as my mom can, but she always talks to us. Why? Because we sat down and talked to her. I don't judge people because I can't understand her. So a nice person. We started talking to a Korean couple who we found out has a Korean restaurant, uh, like a tofu restaurant. And I said, mom, you go visit. I don't do that to tofu stuff. I says, if you make barbecue for me, I'll come. And he goes, I can do, bar-. and he started talking about barbecue and stuff like that. No, no, I don't want barbecue tofu. I want, I want meat. Anyway, oh my God. As a matter of fact, speaking of meat, all right, I've got ribs downstairs on my grill cooking and I can smell them. They're almost done. Oh my gosh. Okay. Well, is there anything that you would like to ask my dad? Tell me about her worst mistake she ever made. <laughs> all right, Tim, Gillette, you will get that in the response. And I just want to look really quick because I did post something in my Facebook group. Oh, here you go. Why the word blog? I never really chose that. It's just, that's what it was called. It was called a blog by everyone else. And that's just what I do. It's like, and I I read some of my mentors, they've changed it now to say articles, whatever. I just, you know, kept it as blog. It was what I had. And and, and I'm labeled in many groups as the blog expert. I'm not a guru. Have you my next book? I'm not a guru. I'm not a guru. Have you taken like your blogs from, you know, your website and repurposed them on LinkedIn? Yes. Yes. I used to do a whole thing on LinkedIn where I would do a paragraph of it and click here, read more. And it would Hmm. That would get them over. But I've actually taken my blogs post and made them into digital books, best of blogs from a certain year. All right. And then I would sell them, you know, as an opt-in or something like that for like six months. And then that's stuff I've done with my blogs. So I've repurposed a lot of stuff where I just come out there and did it. I want to get you to say, this is Tim Gillette on the Better Call Daddy Show. Hey guys, Tim Gillette on the Better Call Daddy Show. Yes, I love it. Okay, and please promote away your books, your mastermind, your podcast, all of the good. Hey, I just, guys, go to timgillette.com. Believe it or not, it's being revamped right now and everything is going to be directly right off the homepage in the next, probably by the time this airs, (laughs) it'll all be set to directly do there. You know, we host a virtual event every month teaching people online marketing. All right, we have a one-time membership. You get to attend all meetings, past, present, and future. 
We have a live meeting in Dallas, Texas every year, mastermind type of meeting about blogging and video. It's called Blog and Video Con, but we really don't have, it's not like a big conference anymore. We, we made it a small mastermind event. And then I, I have a mastermind. You cannot get into my mastermind unless you attend my events. So now we have a gold level mastermind where it's, you know, it starts out basic, anything to get help all the way up to platinum and elite models where elite people get to come to my house once a year and hang out. So barbecue. Well, they get barbecue, they get lunch, and we actually take the whole day to work on their business. So that's yeah. very cool. Tim, this has been an absolute honor. Thank you so much. I'm so glad we got to know each other better. I am too. I'm, I'm glad that you, you and I are in, our, in, in each other's lives now. Now, let's switch it over to Grandpa. This is your episode with Tim Gillette. Let's talk about Tim Gillette's question. Every guest wants to know the dirt on what I was like as a teenager, huh? Well, I think they want to know some of your crazy things that you do. And the funny part is, is that you experimented. You wanted to be cool. You wanted to be uh, the center of attention. And that's not unusual about any kid. You have a son that acts the same way. Okay. I acted the same way. And the only thing is, is that, that we do. And as we grow, as your guest even had mentioned, we then mellow out a little bit and we understand perspectives better of life and some of the things that we're experimenting and learning. At least in your case, I tried to also be there for you, show never to give up and to try to set the best example I could to steer you in the right direction. So nothing that you did surprised me too much. Fortunately, uh, all the experimentation and all of the adventures that you've had have led you to a better place. I think so. The story of Tim is really a very similar episode for the Better Call Daddy show, which is what we're all about, is to give an idea of how our family legacy and other people's family legacies, how they coincide. That hands-on approach of learning how to do things, places closing down, pivoting, learning how to take your skills and knowledge and keep developing it, keep learning. Sometimes you have to go to two or three or four jobs and you got to learn how to do different things. And what's interesting is that Tim has recorded a little piecemeal of way of doing it to be able to tell his story where he can then put all the pieces together and broadcast that or write a book about it or a show about it. Isn't that what all of us are doing with our lives is trying to take our experiences and all our pivots and all of our experience that we develop and also hopefully the mentorships that we find along the way and the close friendships that we find all along the way and try to enhance it. But what was beautiful is that he wants to share it and help other people. And his father set the example also of learning how to do so many different things hands-on and helping people and then being a teacher and getting really the enjoyment of giving back and really helping other people to try to achieve and to be able to move forward with their lives. And I think that's not only the key to success, but that's the key to bettering mankind. And every little step piecemeal together can hopefully make a better big picture. Yeah, he just recently posted a quote on his Facebook that said, in the worst parts of your life, look around, it may be time to help others who need you. Very well said. And that is really the theme is that we have all these choices and we hope to pick 
by learning what bad choices are, where we want to pick better choices, but by able to share that experience and get other people to communicate their experiences, hopefully everyone can benefit from broadcasting those lifelong experiences and getting the message out there and improving people's approach to life and people's approach to business and happiness. And let's face it, that encouragement, that mentorship is also part of the formula of success. It's hard to do it all on your own. We have to be able to coordinate with others. And the more we coordinate with others, the more that we help others, believe it or not, that is a bigger reward than just receiving something on your end. What did you think of his daddy's story? I thought it was a great story. There's even a little lesson of unconditional love in there, where all his siblings are all being loved, even if it's a stepson in there, that everyone is treated with unconditional love and all being inspired. That's a big thing, is to have a coordinated effort and a close-knit family and showing that hands-on approach and wanting to teach and learn, have, have people learn from him all of the lessons of his life, then it doesn't matter how you're connected if you're all in the game together. Thanks for listening to the Better Call Daddy Show. Now you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and TuneIn. If you've enjoyed this episode of the Better Call Daddy Show, please feel free to review it at ratethispodcast.com slash bettercalldaddy. Add Better Call Daddy Podcast on IG at Rena Friedman Watts on LinkedIn.com.